Welcome back to Capture Q. This week's guest is Jill Sheridan. With her husband Craig, she runs Eastwood Cycling Sanctuary as well as Legends Hall Supply Co. In her early years, she started a consulting company called Gold Lemon, and she's been an entrepreneur ever since. This conversation was recorded in June during the week of the protests, so I took a bit of time just to give some space. But now that we're back, we remain committed to opening up ideas and talking about how to make positive change from where we currently stand. We welcome your feedback, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Jill. Thanks for having me. Of course. So before you and your husband started Legends Hall, you started a company called Eastwood. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, totally. Well, so even before Eastwood, I started a um, social media marketing company, oh, cool. which at the time it was just kind of like the new thing to do. There wasn't a ton of companies and everyone was, it was actually a really cool time because there was a lot of companies just getting onto social media for the first time. So it was a really great experience. And then from there, um, Craig and I opened Eastwood Cycle and um, Spin Studio. We also had a bit of a stint with boxing and meditation, which was awesome. Very cool experience. Um, So yeah, so we have owned Eastwood for just about six years now. And then, yeah, Craig ended up opening Legends Hall. And so we've kind of been juggling both up until this point. And his background in terms of his family, he's been in the food supply industry before this? Yeah, so Craig has actually been in distribution like, honestly, I think since he was like 10, <laughs> his grandpa started a meat and seafood distribution like back in the 70s. So he was always in his family business and he has done every possible role from like crushing boxes to like the cutting room floor to the sales wow. to buying everything. So he's got like a very, very unique, very cool background and, and set of skills. So their family ended up selling to Cisco Foods. Okay. And then Craig actually transitioned with the company during the the merger or the the acquisition. Um, and then he ended up running the family business at the time, and then um, was the VP of all of the specialty companies across Canada for meat and seafood for Cisco for many oh, years. Wow. So he he really comes from like that background with like boots on the ground, family business. Like you just get your hands dirty and you do what it takes. But then also has that really cool experience of like how a really large company operates and Mm -hmm. kind of the systems needed in place to succeed really cool yeah so it's been it's been a it's a it's a good mix what i really like too is that i mean cisco you know it's it has a function it definitely serves a lot of restaurants that they want a particular type of food but what i really loved in reading about legends hall is that you guys you really focus on kind of the the biodiverse farms the small farm if you want to just i guess chat a little bit about why he or yourself you know you chose to go in that direction versus what a cisco does yeah well i think with craig's um experience with working with all of these businesses he ended up seeing that there was a huge niche in the market and working for such a large corporation your hands are really tied sometimes when you're wanting to work with these smaller companies and initiatives and so he you know craig's plan and and i've always known since literally the day that i met him that he would one day do this on his own and so we had so many conversations um just about that like there is a niche in the market and distribution is like not a sexy business to be in we think it is now yeah (laughs) 
but it you takes, kind of turned it that way though <laughs> that was our whole goal I, it kind of takes like a specific person and you have to know how to operate distribution you it's it's a weird thing where not it's not an easy business to launch yeah so Craig really saw the niche of like, hey, you know what? There's a lot of local farmers. There's a lot of small producers. There's a lot of really cool people doing amazing things um, and they need more support. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole idea with even the name Legends Hall is inspired by like the first farmers and their legendary halls that they would have in their harvest. Yeah. And um, that was kind of like the inspiration is that we're like, we want to be supporting these people with like legendary products and legendary halls and get those um, at the time into restaurants and retailers. Mm -hmm. And now obviously we've been able to pivot and we can actually get those into people's homes as well. Mm -hmm. That's neat. So I guess we could talk a little bit about that because I thought that was interesting is that you started as kind of, you know, supplying to restaurants and chefs who they wanted, you know, a very particular product. And then during COVID, you saw that that, you know, maybe you could take some of the, you know, whether it was a pantry item or whatever from a restaurant and then supply it to individuals at home. Yeah. Well, what happened was when Craig launched Legends Hall, we had tried to do, not tried, we did, we did home delivery and it was under this cool kind of like umbrella name called the Milk Run. And it had actually like some great traction. Um, but at the time, more importantly, our restaurant and our retail business totally took off. So, you know, we were a super small team. I think there was like three people for sure. Like three people Mm. like me, Craig and his mom. And then like, and then we onboarded a couple other people, (laughs) very small team. So we were like, okay, we have to choose where we're putting our energy right now. So we put it into like full, you know, restaurant and retailer, um, or that, that business. And so we, closed our, our milk run division. And, um, when COVID hit, you know, we lost 75% of our business overnight. And I think it was like a Sunday night. Um, Craig and I, um, and Alex, I think the three of us or however it happened, it seems like such a blur. Everyone was like, okay, so we either lay off all of our staff and, potentially go out of business because we don't know how long it's going to go on for. Um, Essentially like we could close shop. We don't know at this point, or we pivot like tomorrow and launch home grocery. We have all the building blocks. We have the trucks, the food safe facility. We have Mm -hmm. the know-how, the products, the connections. Um, Alex Plowman is incredible. He's He's got an amazing background as a chef in the community and beyond. He's worked all over the world. Awesome. And so he's got these really amazing connections with a lot of local farmers and just a really good knowledge of like what people want and what they need and these super high quality chef ingredients. Mm-hmm. So it all just kind of seemed to oddly come into place. Yeah. And it seemed like in one of the craziest times in our life that we've ever been through, the universe in a weird way, like really pulled through for us. Actually, like makes me feel emotional talking about uh. it because it was <laughs> such an insane time. And we launched, we announced that we were going to do home grocery delivery on a Monday. We did our first deliveries on a Wednesday and we were so excited. We had like 30 orders for our first day and we we're like, okay, maybe, maybe there's a niche here. And then it just skyrocketed. It's, it's went from there. So it's awesome. It's been a great pivot. Yeah. So I guess if you want to talk a little bit about just choosing. So how did you choose the restaurants that you're working with and, and the farms? Do they come to you or is that just through Alex or? 
Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the guy's um, area of expertise. Um, Honestly, we sell to such a, a huge array of businesses. It's really anyone who wants to offer ocean-wise seafood or local produce or mm-hmm. um, consciously sourced meat. So it really depends. It, I mean, that can be your local um, corner store grocer or it can be, you know, Shambar or St. Lawrence. It, it just really depends. And um, as much as our sales team absolutely goes after new business, we are now in a place um, where there's a lot of people that come to us and, and want our product. So it's a good place to be. And I guess too, in, in this era of, you know, yes, we can do DoorDash, we can do, you know, all of the number of, of food delivery services, but who do we want to build relationships with? Right. And, and who do, who, who is doing something that we believe in? And, and clearly that's something local. That's something that, totally. you know, so yeah, very neat. Absolutely. Very cool. Yeah. So in your interest in, um, in business, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. clearly you have a background in it and, uh, I guess where did that come from? Yeah. You know what? It's weird. Um, I've just, I felt like since I was, um, I mean, a teenager, I've always known I've wanted to do my own thing. Both my parents were entrepreneurs. And mm-hmm. so weirdly enough, um, there was never like even another option. Funny. And I didn't go to university. Um, I took a fashion merchandising course at Blanche McDonald, which was awesome for me as an 18-year-old. Yep. They, yeah. They're a great program, but I never... Um, yeah, my own personal way of thinking was I could get so much education with like boots on the ground and really being ingrained in Mm -hmm. in business. And I know that's not for everyone, but for me, that's worked. And it's funny, like I, I grew up with a bit of a different take on schooling where there was a period of my life where I thought I wanted to go to law school. And most parents I feel like would be like so excited. And my dad actually deterred me. He was like, yeah, no, no." he's like, I I don't feel like that's for you. And, and just kind of like all of these like amazing reasons as to why I should like really ingrain myself in business and have my own business, whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, my parents were like very supportive of like, and even before Gold Lemon, there was a lot of different like ideas and things that I did on my own. And um, I really appreciate because now that we have kids, I'm like, you know, supporting your kids and whatever they're doing, like it's going Mm -hmm. to be challenging. You have hopes and dreams. And so I think it was just cool that my parents' hopes and dreams for me was to be an entrepreneur. And they respected that path as to like how I chose to get there. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's really, it's an important thing because I, I find that, and I've talked to other guests about this, is that the idea that you have to go to school and do this, you know, not even a four-year degree anymore, it's a master's, you know, just to get a 40 grand job sending emails is is just so ludicrous when you can, you know, even some people I've known that are so intelligent who they don't graduate high school and they just go and they have the street smarts and the experience and the, you know, the wherewithal to, to fight and to keep going and to learn. Yeah. It's, I think it's a pretty individualized experience. Craig also was in college and he dropped out just to immerse himself in his family business. You know, raising your kids, we're absolutely going to be advocates of going to university or going to college but we're also i think because we've lived this kind of unique experience with our families Mm -hmm. really supporting that like you kind of got to pave your own path Mm -hmm. um i feel like we'll probably be a bit looser with our kids as well as to like how they find 
their niche and what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And for sure there's been some hard lessons, right? Absolutely. You know, where I'm like, oh, you know, maybe, but at the same time, like, you know, owning Eastwood and starting Eastwood, I think I was like 24 Wow. And all of a sudden you're like managing a team of 30 people and the majority of people are older than you. And so yeah. it was like some good lessons, some really good lessons that I know I couldn't have gotten anywhere else. Of course. Yeah. No, I mean, nothing is easy, right? So it doesn't matter if you have a PhD. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And also learning to deal with people at a young age, which I think is missed out a lot on, you know, people who they do the school path forever and, and they don't they don't understand the pressure of working under someone's thumb and, and working, you know, learning how to deal with, okay, this personality is this way and this personality is that way. It's, you know, usually it's just the, I guess with professors, they're all different, but, but yeah, learning that, that people, those people skills is totally huge, right? Yeah. I think if I was to choose anything to, to go back to school for within wanting to own my own business or be an entrepreneur, it would be psychology, just have a better understanding of how to better manage people. Of course. Um, and get to different levels with people. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's hard. You're managing a lot of personalities and, um, and emotions. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a a big job. Mm -hmm. I used to think that, you know, unnecessary pressure and unnecessary, you know, kind of really strict or tough or kind of micromanaging was bad or, you know, kind of making someone feel bad or creating conflict in the office. I've always thought, you know, blanket, that is horrible and it's not how to operate a business. But then you watch, I mean, on the Michael Jordan documentary where he needed conflict we just in order to this. be the best. Yes. <laughs> he ne- and so he had to almost create drama, which kind of puts a lot of things into perspective in, in offices I've worked where they've created drama just to, for. and I thought, you know, what is the reason for this? But maybe that's how they get the fire and passion to get to work every day. Totally. Not that I want to. I know there's like a, there's a happy medium, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Craig is, um, one of the most passionate people I've ever met. And he's passionate about if he chooses something that he's passionate about, it's game over. Wow. And it's really cool because I just really respect his way of, of leading teams and managing and his input in meetings. He, um, he pushes people like, big time. Mm-hmm. And he's always, to his quote, poking holes in scenarios and playing the devil's advocate and really challenging people. But I think just being, and you know, I have the pleasure of, obviously he's my husband and I'm around him all the time, but he's for me, and this probably sounds corny because he's my husband, but I feel like I've also seen this just with our team members. He really pushes people in the most respectful way, but to be be operating at their best selves. And um, I think just working with so many people in the past, it's it's a really hard skill um, to come by. And so I really respect how he can put the pressure on, but in a really respectful mm-hmm. way. And also, yeah, no, to, to notice when someone's doing a good job, like it comes almost with two parts, is mm-hmm. that when someone's doing well, you, you make sure that, that that's known. And I think that is huge to keep people motivated, right? Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And keep people, you know, there's nothing worse than high turnover in a business. Of right? course. Yeah. Oh yeah. I know. it. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> interesting. I, we talked off air just a minute ago about how you guys met. If you wanted to chat about that, cause I thought it was a really oh, yeah. sweet <laughs> yeah. story. <laughs> yeah, I'm like so corny again, <laughs> but no, I, I just said like, 
I saw Craig and I, um, yeah, I knew like, as soon as I saw him, I knew he was one. I was telling you, I was like, I, I called my family and they thought I was totally crazy. They're like, we know you're slightly crazy, but like, this is for sure. <laughs> I was like, I met the guy I'm going to marry tonight at age 20 at yeah. age 20. And yeah, it was like one of those weird situations where I can't even describe the feeling. You can't put a finger on what it was, but I knew instantly and we had actually gone through, you know, a time where in our early 20s and we had broken up and it was so dramatic. And my girlfriend was like, Jill, I think you just got to let it go. Like, it's not meant to be. And I'm like, no, no, we're getting married. <laughs> it's meant to be. We are getting married. <laughs> he doesn't realize it yet, but trust me, we will be married. And we laugh about it now because obviously here we are with two kids and businesses and businesses and he, you know, he's my better, my better half. And I, I think he feels the same way about me. So awesome. it's, yeah, it's, I've said this a couple of times. It's just weird how the world works and it gives you what you need. Mm-hmm. And I think that is neat too, in that sometimes when you have a business and you have almost your whole life is within that business, if it's your spouse, something about that, that formula drives you, you know, your, your, your focus isn't split, right? It's not like, I mean, of course, with kids, it has to be split. But mm-hmm. when you do have that kind of, you know, it's woven within, you know, love and passion and, and drive and, and knowing that we have to make this succeed together because, you know, you can't fall back in someone else's career kind of thing. Or Yeah. And I was actually talking about this earlier with someone and they had just gone through a breakup with their boyfriend. And I was saying like, you know, for Craig and I, it's been really important since we've st- since we met when we were so young and we've gone through so many challenging times in our life since then, wonderful times, but personal challenges and, and major hurdles we've had to overcome is that, um, you know, it's, it hasn't been perfect, but it's been so important to us that we are always growing together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, right now for us with legends, it's really finding a balance of, understanding that like when we need each other, you know, when COVID hit, I was like, okay, I'm here full time. I am giving you anything that you need. Awesome. You know, we're really equal partners Mm -hmm. in life. Um, But now we're like, okay, we're at our max capacity. We've hit it. So now it's like (laughs) recalibrating and every single day we're literally talking about like our life strategy and how to be better and do better and what are, what do our kids need? And so you know, my strategy now is to peel back and focus on our family. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's just we're, yeah, it's always staying connected. Clearly, I think a huge part of successful businesses is knowing people. And a lot of, you know, going back to our school topic is a lot of the benefit of, you know, doing an MBA is the people you meet. How do you meet the people that you know are going to to want to dive into something new? is that a challenge or? I mean, there's for sure been challenges. There's, yeah. there's, <laughs> I listened to this podcast with Eckhart Tolle and he nailed it on the, he hit the nail on the head, obviously. And he was like, there are two universes and there are a group of people that are on one universe and a group of people that are on another universe. And neither universes are bad. 
-hmm. But within those universes, you have very different views of the world or values, or it can come down to you're a Democrat or you're a Republic or Republican, (laughs) excuse me. And um, so there's all of these different kind of like things that in your own personal life, you have to categorize who is on your universe. And that can look really differently. But for us, you know, we have found some wonderful people that we've worked with in the past, but they're not on our universe. And it's not a bad thing. We just need like-minded people. Um, Eastwood has been, I think, an amazing outlet for us to connect with a really incredible community that I think will be in our lives and we can work with in all different capacities, no matter the industry that we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the community and the the whole general like energy that was really created at Eastwood um, it attracted a lot of really creative, like-minded um, go-getters and business owners. And it was such an eclectic community. Mm-hmm. You have someone who's 18 and they've just left their house all the way up until, you know, the, the, the amazingly wise guru, 70-year-old man who's giving you like the craziest, coolest advice. And then there's everything in between. So you know, it's really been, it was a cool outlet for us to, I think, build our own network in a really unsuspected, unsuspecting way. Mm-hmm. What gave you the idea to start that? Like as your, I guess your, you know, second launch? Is yeah. it just a passion of yours? Or? Well, so Craig and I, um, even now, we're always talking about different business ideas at all times. He just emailed me about a <laughs> different idea. I'm like, I just, <laughs> we're at max. We're at max capacity right now. Then like save it, bookmark it. Don't be hitting up my phone with business ideas. <laughs> um, but so we were in, we were actually in Sayulita and we had had, honestly, we had had way too many margaritas and we had been talking about business ideas and we wanted to do something together and on our own. Um, Craig had just done some spin classes at a local spin studio then. And I had been, you know, we had no kids. We're working out all the time. We had all this time on our hands. And I said, I was like, I haven't found anywhere where I feel personally like I want to spend my hard-earned money and I want to spend my time and I feel welcome. And even Mm -hmm. if I'm new, I feel like I'm a part of the community. And I also just love the aesthetic of the place. I'm not Mm -hmm. drawn to um, the normal um, workout space. Mm -hmm. And now that's changed. Now the whole game has changed. Of course, Um, since then, yeah. But at the time, um, what we did was like, you know, obviously I'm biased, but anyways, after many margaritas, we're like, you know what? Let's open up our own spin studio. Let's do something totally new and different. And, um, our, again, our families totally thought we were crazy when we said we were opening a spin studio. I think a lot of entrepreneurs would get that from whether it's family or siblings or friends. Oh yeah. What are you doing? (laughs) Craig's grandpa, who's like, he's a guru. Like for everyone here, he comes in and everyone just like listens so intently on like his advice and words of wisdom. And he was, I'll never forget. He was like, okay, so let me get this right. You guys want to open a spin studio. You guys have done two classes ever in your life. (laughs) Um, Craig, you have a full-time career um, on bikes that don't move. And then you do the classes in the dark. Am I correct? <laughs> We're like, yeah, no, that's... Which is neat because I think that's a huge feature too of success is being able to spot trends before they take off, right? Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, and, and I mean, even then, you know, there, like our families, they were like kind of like, okay, hey, you guys are crazy. But at the end of the day, they were our biggest supporters and like 
in helping us build bikes and they've been there for us through like every turn. Yeah. So it was just, I think it's a pretty unique experience for both of us to have families on either side that are mm-hmm. totally in it with us and, and our biggest supporters. Mm-hmm. I think the one barrier too to starting a business is, you know, many people may have an idea and they're looking at, okay, you obviously you need access to capital. You want to rent a place, renovate it, pay for the staff before you're making any membership money. Um, how do you, you know, I guess any advice to young people who, let's say they don't have family or they, you know, is there, do you think there's resources out there people could use or? I think there's for sure resources, but honestly, it's hard. Like it's super hard. And we absolutely were lucky to have some help from our family to get us going. Mm -hmm. But then we took it over and we, you know, fought with the banks for larger lines of credit and, you know, more room on credit cards. And, um, Craig has this term and it's called sales fixes everything. And it does. And so for us, you know, starting Eastwood, we were like lean and mean. And Mm -hmm. we were like hit the streets with marketing and doing everything that we could to increase our sales so that we could go to the bank and show them a success rate and be like, listen, this is our sales and and we're wanting to grow and we want to expand our business. We need help. Um, So it comes with time, but I mean, it's hard and it's, I I don't know if I can swear on here, but like, (laughs) it's really stressful. It's really stressful and we've been through it all like, you know, max out credit card or max out line of credit and um, it's stressful, but like coming back and being like, okay, we've actually got this yeah, and working that down and and being in a good position, um, it's really rewarding, but Mm -hmm. there's no easy answer. It's, it's challenging unless you have, you know, an endless supply of money, which I think 95% of the world doesn't. <laughs> of course, yeah. It's it's a challenge. There's no good answer. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great one, though, just because, I mean, it, it really does take that personality to fight. And I don't think any business, anyone, unless they were, you know, some Alex Bezos' son or whatever. Totally, yeah. <laughs> then, you know, they... it's that it's fighting for what you believe in and continuing to believe in it, even on sleepless nights and totally every business owner will tell you that I I think. (laughs) Yeah. And like, you know, for Craig and I, I feel like there's definitely, there can be this view. I think of people viewing business owners or, you know, Eastwood as like, you know, it's so glamorous or legends. It's so cool. And it's this and that, Mm -hmm. but it's like, it is our whole lives Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we are working and, we have been since we opened Eastwood literally from like the minute your eyes open in the morning till the minute they physically close at Mm -hmm. night for years, like blood, sweat, tears, our team at Eastwood knows I get like emotional and team meetings and like talking to everyone about plans or what we're doing or new initiatives. I get emotional. I'm sure our our team has seen me cry like many times. I write like (laughs) emotional emails to them because that business and now this one they're like truly made of like blood blood sweat and tears Mm -hmm. that's such a one thing i love about our generation is we can be emotional you can cry at work and you can show people that these things are acceptable and almost you know desired because if you care and you love what you do and you love your team members why not show it you know Mm -hmm. and i think we're Pass the boomer, kind of like stiff upper lip, work hard and don't show emotions and, you know, that type of thing. So I I love to hear that. It's awesome. Yeah. Like, it's not for me. It's not real, you know, and 
Especially with Eastwood, I, I went through a really challenging time personally, and, and I ended up totally opening up to our staff about it because um, I emailed them and I said, hey, at the end of the day, we're in health and wellness, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm your guys' team leader, and I want everyone to know where I'm at. It's not a secret, and I think that it's such a huge conversation, no matter the industry, that like you know, you need to be around people that you can trust and that support you. And as much as there's absolutely days where I'm like, oh, I had a crazy morning with my kids, but I got to leave my shit at the door. Mm-hmm. There's still an element there where like at the end of the day, like we're humans. Yep. And it's really important no matter the business that you're in to have that human element. Mm-hmm. And your team realizes that like you're a living, breathing person with emotions, just yeah. like everyone else. And that also gives you empathy for when, you know, someone that you're working with goes through something, then you can say, I get it. You know, I understand, which is very cool. Um, in terms of aesthetic, cause you clearly, you know, you have an eye for that, which is very obvious. Um, people can create something beautiful. How do you market that to people? Is that, was that just a lot of experimentation or just, I mean, clearly a lot of work, but how Mm -hmm. did you learn to? My mom was an interior designer. And so growing up, I think I was like three on job sites with her forever. She was a a working mom and she was with us at home all the time, but also worked on the side. And now I have such a great appreciation. I'm like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. you were amazing. That's so hard. Yeah. So I was on job sites with her, helping her pick out countertops and um, you know, flooring and paint colors. And I was sitting in the shopping cart as she's, you know, buying decor for homes. And so it was something that was always a part of our life. Um, and then creating this, my social media marketing company, um, aesthetic has just always been something that's, that's been a part of what I've done. Mm -hmm. And I've felt that I've always been a person who's really, affected by my surroundings mm-hmm. um, negatively or positively. Yeah. And so with social media, I really took the stance at that time that like, you know, I want people to feel something mm-hmm. and you can create that online on social media. You can create a feeling and a culture and you can make someone feel really good or really bad or whatever it may be. So it was really important that like, I don't know, it would, it was called gold lemon and everything just kind of combined with like my, my love for aesthetics and design to my passion for creating something online with visuals and graphics. Awesome. Um, and then going into Eastwood, you know, it was the same thing. Like, I don't want to work out in a boring, you know, cement space. Like I want to walk in and I want to feel so inspired and I don't Mm want to leave here. And I want to, love spending my money here because it mm. feels really good and I want to leave a better person. I, I don't want to just go in somewhere for a workout. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, again, even for mental health, for staff, like where you work, how it makes you feel, the color of the walls, the lighting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am a firm believer that like your customers, your staff, um, it it makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And many people have worked. I mean, I've seen the difference in working at, in an office that is just you know, it's like a storage container and then working in an office that is a beautiful, welcoming, you want to spend. I mean, look at WeWork as much as they have their <laughs> criticism over their founder. Um, 
beautiful interior spaces and people want to spend their time there which is uh hopefully something that we can slowly move back to um as as covid you know dissipates totally and then you know even for like brand you you know we're like okay why is distribution this like weird like it's such a cool industry and why are Mm -hmm. there so many you know and again it's a personal thing right there are absolutely some great examples of very cool distribution companies out there but a lot of the companies, it's old school, which again mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. their own value for us. I was like, this is like one of the coolest industries in my mind that's so untapped. Yeah. Restaurants, cooking at home, it's exotic and it's cool and it creates this amazing experience in restaurants, but they're all buying our their food from us. Yeah. So why would we not have like that same feeling of you know, like something that people want to be a part of mm-hmm. and restaurateurs or retailers or now people in their homes be like, cool, I can relate to that brand and, and yeah. I want to be a part of that culture and, and what's mm-hmm. going on there. It's tough to, I think certain industries, there even, you know, construction industries, there are some that they do it beautifully. Like I think Pacific, they, I mean, just gorgeous branding and logos and all of that, which really catches your eye. And I think that in an era of of us growing up on, you know, social media, especially Instagram and Squarespace being everybody's website, we understand a little bit more that this, you know, some things they can look outdated if they're not kind of uh, keeping up with the aesthetic, right? So totally and and harder to reach because people don't understand like what is this clunky thing over here Absolutely. <laughs> which is yeah, it's super cool i just listened to this podcast and it was from um and i'm totally blanking on her name right now but she was the co-chair of lvmh for years and now she teaches a class at harvard and it's all about aesthetic intelligence mm-hmm. and how like the importance of no matter the industry that you're in creating an overall aesthetic, whether it's in your office or your brand or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, just the importance of that. It was a really good podcast. Um, yeah. And I think that totally applies to to our industry. And she's like, you know, every few years there is a, a key player in different industries, whether it's Dyson mm-hmm. or it's, it could be whatever. And they come Bang out and, and they, they, yeah, they <laughs> yeah. change the game. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's something that we've actually talked about a lot is that we're like, how are we, selling groceries but let's change the game like yeah. how are we changing it very cool and so once you've gotten that aesthetic and you think you know we've got a great idea we've got a beautiful brand how do you get that out there for people to know about yeah um time it yeah. takes a lot of time and it takes creating content that people want to see mm-hmm. i always you know have said to our team or I think to myself, like, am I posting with a purpose? Mm-hmm. Like, what is the messaging here? Am I poorly direct selling someone on something? Or am I just creating something that people are drawn to? Yeah. And that, again, it makes them feel something. Um, and are we creating a brand or content that other people will want to talk about and tell their friends? And mm-hmm. whether that be an influencer with 30,000 followers or a mom mm-hmm. who wants to share all of our products with her three closest friends. Like it could be whatever. Um, so I think it's just really creating content that um, means something and makes people feel something. Yeah. Cause that is also valuable to have. I think a lot of people overlook that and they want, you know, the person with the most followers to retweet or 
retweet spending way too much on twitter yeah. during these <laughs> yeah. protests um yeah just to to share and i think that that's it's overlooking the person who might be even more influential in the in their community whether it is a mom in a school or whatever it is yeah. it can be anything mm-hmm. and this week has been really interesting because um the majority of our messaging and how we um promote our new products and um anything that's new on the shop, et cetera. It it comes from Instagram. That's really our Mm -hmm. biggest avenue. And that's how we've actually grown so quick. Awesome. Is truly through Instagram. And and this week, obviously it's really heavy week. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we have um, you know, taken part in in creating more space for Mm -hmm. um activists and people with really important things to say, much more important than, you know, selling our lettuce at this Mm -hmm. at this point. Um, so it's been a really interesting time for us to actually take a step back. Um, and that's a whole other conversation, yeah. but to really review like, okay, so what are our other selling strategies? Instagram is gone mm-hmm. and that's okay. We're good with that. But mm-hmm. how are we honing into other elements of just word of mouth and getting yeah. on the street and, um, different ways to, get our product to people. So it's been a really, it's actually been a really good challenge. It's been a good mm-hmm. exercise. It's neat to, to look at it that way. Cause it is very difficult. You don't, as you said, you don't want to take up space where people are, are asking for different voices to be heard. Um, but when you, when you look at the overall kind of what good can we do in the world? I think one thing that I am drawn to is because this conversation series is forward thinking individuals that are doing good things in the world. And and a huge thing is when you're looking at, you know, especially with COVID, you're looking at a world and a global food system that isn't working. You know, we have these monoculture crops, we have, you know, lost, you know, soil degradation, which is contributing to climate change. You have so many effects from how are we consuming how are we eating and for you guys to reach out to you know whether it's a farm or a restaurant or a chef who really cares about that you know as they say you know you 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 take action in in the steps you choose to walk in right so if you're doing what you do because you care about the outcome what better can you do right there's there's no amount of posting whatever item on an instagram account that's going to affect change as much as you are in doing, you know, making the choices every day in a small business to affect change in the world, right? Well, and we really feel like, I mean, at the forefront of so many of our decisions with our entire team, and Craig and I, again, we talk about this all the time. You guys are going to think we do nothing else but talk about work, (laughs) but we truly do. We ask ourselves, like, in 20 years, will our kids be proud of us Mm -hmm. for making this decision, whether that is around sustainable farming practices, Mm -hmm. the farmers that we work with, Mm -hmm. um, the meat that we buy and sell, the seafood we sell, and also our views with our businesses on equality and diversity Mm -hmm. and how we treat our team members and mental health. It's really a lot of things that, that go into a full circle where we feel like we are actually in a point in our life with this industry and with the reach that we're developing that we feel like we can actually make a positive change Mm -hmm. and maybe it's a really small one but it's something and it's better than nothing um you know especially when it comes to our food ecosystem but again there's just so many pieces layered in there um Mm -hmm. that we're really trying to come full circle on and 
you know, even this week with, um, with everything that's been happening again, it's just been so heavy and we're like, how do we really not make a statement for today? Mm -hmm. Um, but how do we actually just move forward from now until forever Mm -hmm. and make really positive changes? It's the same with our food ecosystem. It's the same with, you know, we're like, what can we implement now? That's not just like, joining the conversation just Mm -hmm. to join it. But how are we like truly moving forward Mm -hmm. in a more positive way? Which is a neat thing about business today, because I mean, traditional economics, it tells you, forget about the externalities. It doesn't matter if a tree falls on a window and smashes that window, it's creating, you know, business for someone else. That is ignoring the externality of the pain that that person is going through. Maybe they can't afford to fix their window or maybe they got hurt by the glass. You know, what What about economics is, is kind of disregarding all of these social issues and these externalities, right? So to to take, you know, a business model, traditional business model and go, we can actually care about these other things, like you said, with mental health. We mm-hmm. can we can build that into a business model and and actually you know, not just say those are things we don't have to care about because that doesn't increase our bottom line, mm-hmm. um, which is brave. It's hard. Yeah, Because <laughs> most economists will say, eh, you know, you're going to waste a lot of your time and money and, and all that. But at the end of the day, like you said, with your kids, when they grow up, are they going to be proud of what you did or are they going to go like, ah, oh, they're so, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's not the easy path. Mm-hmm. But it's the it's the path that counts. And we want to do something that counts awesome, and that makes a difference. And we want people to, to be proud of where they work and to be shouting from the rooftop that like we're doing cool things, but also good things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not, you know, at the end of the day, it's not just food. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's constant learning too, right? Like there's, there's a lot of learning you have to, to do in terms of learning about the food system and learning about farming and learning about how it all affects the world is that they, that's something that will continue to change and you always have to learn. So, Oh yeah. yeah. And we're always going to be readjusting and recalibrating and relooking at things and trying to change with the world and not being like set in our ways where we're like, no, sorry, mm-hmm. this is what we do. I mean, if you do that, you're, you get left behind. Of course. So yeah, yeah we're always going to be recalibrating and I think doing our best with the information that we have to make the best steps forward Mm -hmm. i think that's a great note to end on yeah awesome i appreciate you coming this is it's been really lovely yeah thank you no it's been really nice thank you